special message for Thanksgiving today. Our scripture will be found in chapter 1, verses 1 through 11. Philippians chapter 1, please turn there with me in your Bibles. I'll be reading from the ESV and ask you to stand with me and to follow along with me as I read Philippians chapter 1, verses 1 through 11. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi, with the overseers and deacons, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God and all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you all, making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel. <clears throat> because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. It is right for me to feel this way about you all, because I hold you in my heart, for you are all, you are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness, how I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment, so that you may approve what is excellent, and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. special message for Thanksgiving today. I chose this passage because it speaks of giving thanks and Paul thankful for those around him in ministry. They'll stand here today. I'm thankful for you. Thankful for those that God has placed in his work here and thankful that the gospel is going out in so many places in this country and around the world. The gospel that saves souls. The gospel that alone gives hope to an individual, to a person, to any person. And we are thankful for Christ and his grace that's been poured out in our lives that we might have benefit of the gospel by being saved and have the pleasure of taking that gospel out um, in our lives and with our lips to all those we come in contact with. Let's bow for a word of prayer, will you? Thank you, Father, for your many blessings. Thank you for allowing us to be here today. Thank you for allowing us to worship and to praise and rejoice in you today. Thank you, Lord, despite of our circumstances and surroundings and the things that are going on and the things that uh, would bother us or, or uh, just impact us in so many ways. In spite of those things, our focus is on you, our joy is in you, our hope is in you, and you fulfill all of that hope in the Lord Jesus Christ. So we're thankful for what you have done in your son, the Lord Jesus Christ. We're thankful for what you're going to do in our lives and, and when you bring us into your kingdom in eternity. We're thankful for that. 
Now, Lord, we pray that you would minister to those who are hurting today, those who are grieving, those who are sorrowful, those who have discouragement in their lives for many reasons that uh, as we go through this life, Lord, there's many struggles that we encounter. We, may we learn, Lord, may we practice right now placing those at your feet, knowing, Lord, that you care about us, that you are concerned with every detail in our lives, and that you are, you fulfill our purpose. Help us to to, uh, to hide ourselves in you. Help us to trust in you, to fully trust in you, uh, taking all of our burdens, all our concerns, all our anxieties, and, and throwing them at your feet, knowing, Lord, that you do love us and care for us. So we thank you for each one here today. We ask that your Holy Spirit might minister to us through your word and through our fellowship together, that you might be glorified. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. And please be seated. Special message today is still in Galatians. We're not finished with Galatians yet. And we will take a break from it starting next week as we look at some special messages on the birth of Christ. But today we want to focus on thanks, giving thanks to God. And we ask ourselves, what is there in Galatians that reminds us of what we have to give thanks to God? It is the Word of God, so certainly it's going to point us in the right direction. And so I've chosen to use the, uh, the material that we've covered so far in Galatians as a, uh, as a point to emphasize thanks and thankfulness to God. And then next week we'll start a new series on a Christmas series on the birth of Christ. <clears throat> We're reminded of several things, and I've, I've, I've chosen three things that we'll look at today at which um, Galatians emphasizes and we ought to give thanks for. And I want to bring them out today and, and show you the practical side of how God is working in our lives and, and how he wants us uh, to appreciate what he's doing and give thanks for the process that he uses to impact our lives. First, and, and we would see this readily in, in Galatians in our series, is the gospel. In other words, God ministers to us in three ways that we'll focus on this morning. And the first that we'll see is he ministers to us through the gospel. The gospel is emphasized here in Galatians in its origin in chapter 1, verse 1. And what I'm going to do is take you through several verses in Galatians. And so you'll be turning back and forth starting in the first part of Galatians. And we'll be looking at several verses there. And in doing this is going to remind us uh, kind of give us a summary of what Galatians is teaching us. God ministers to us through the gospel first. He, he ministers through the gospel. We see that in the, the origin of the gospel, that it's of God and not of man. In chapter 1, verse 1, Paul says, he says this, Paul, an apostle, not from men nor through man, but through Jesus Christ, and God the Father. 
In verse 11, chapter 1, he says, For I would have you know, brothers, that the gospel that was preached by me is not man's gospel. He focuses on this gospel, and he says, It didn't come from me. I didn't get my, my commission uh, uh, from man. It didn't come from any other man, but it came directly from God. And God is using this to impact the lives of people. He's doing that uh, he did that with Paul. He did that with the Galatians, believers there, those who came to know Christ. They came to know through the gospel. God is doing that to you today. Through the gospel, he has caused you to, to learn of, of him, and he's drawn you to himself through the gospel. This gospel is undistorted, verse 7 says, not that there is another one, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. Paul has committed his life to speaking the truth of the gospel and exposing any distortion that rose up that uh, infected or affected the gospel in a wrong way. And he wanted to speak the truth of that gospel. Another thing about this gospel is that it eliminates pride. It doesn't leave room for human boasting. We can thank God for that. It's undistorted. We can thank God that its origin comes from God. We can thank God that it strips us of our pride. It doesn't leave room for us puffing up ourselves and saying who we are as if we made ourselves into something great. He says this in, 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 in verse uh, 10 of chapter 1, for am I now seeking the approval of man or of God, or am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. The gospel is not man-pleasing. It doesn't appeal uh, uh, to man's uh, uh, pride to puff him up. You know, we hear a lot in a world that it's all about self-esteem. You need to feel better about yourself as if that's the remedy to everything. It's not. It's not. It's not the remedy to everything. The gospel doesn't appeal to that way of human thinking because it doesn't make us great. In fact, the gospel tells us we're sinners. The gospel tells us that we're deserving of God's judgment. And so, you know, we, we would think in man's approach, he said, well, you're not, you're not really that bad. We can, we can fix you. We can work on you. We, we can show you how to be better. The gospel doesn't take that approach at all. It doesn't appeal to man's pride. It says, you are a sinner. I am a sinner, and I am doomed to God's judgment. But then you would think, well, then the gospel doesn't bring hope. Well, yes, it does. It brings the hope that we have because the hope is not in ourselves, that God is going to make us into something great or make us better. The hope is in the Lord Jesus Christ, that in him we have a hero. In him we have a savior. In him he's going to take us from that sinful state and bring us to be made right with him by what he has done. And what has he done? He's lived a sinless life. He died on the cross for our sins. He's paid for those sins. He's put those sins on himself, and he's paid for them himself. And he has therefore set those who believe in him, he has set them free based on what he has done, not what we have done. 
That's a very important distinction because this whole gospel that Paul was teaching, was preaching, and this whole letter to Galatians says, look, you need to keep the emphasis on who Christ is and what he has done and what he has accomplished instead of what you got to do to be saved. He was, they were saying, no, 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 you, you, you got to obey these rules, obey these laws. You got to live up to this standard, and then Christ can save you. <laughs> and Paul says, no, that's a distortion of the gospel. The gospel eliminates room for manful pride, for human pride in thinking. The gospel can be praised. We can thank God for the gospel because of its saving power. It's saving power. I want to talk about two parts of that. First of all, it's transforming power or the act of transforming. It takes us and completely transforms us. We, we can see this in, in a couple ways. Um, look, look at what he says in verse 15. But when he who had set me apart before I was born and who called me by his grace, was pleased to reveal his son to me. He's, Paul is saying, the experience that I have is that God turned me around. He revealed himself to me, and he changed me. And then others could see it. Look at verse 24. He says, they glorified God because of me. <laughs> He said, they saw the change in my life. Look at verse 23. They only were hearing it said, he who used to persecute us is now preaching the faith he once tried to destroy, and they glorified God because of me. When they saw the transformation that God had made in Paul's life, that he once was trying to kill believers, and now he had given his life and he was persecuted for faith in Christ, they realized the great power that God used in the gospel in transforming this man's life. And he's doing the same thing today. He's working to transform our lives. In chapter 3, verse 26, you see that transformation takes place this way. He says, for in Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God through faith. He's made us sons of God. He's made us his own children. He's transformed us to be outside of his family, and now he's made us to be sons of God through faith in Jesus Christ. What does this mean? He says, here's what it means in chapter 4, verse 7. So you are no longer a slave but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. Heir means that you have an inheritance that's coming to you from someone who's left it from you that you're related to. You're not related to him. You have no right to it. <laughs> but God says, because you are my son, I leave for you an inheritance. I have a, I have a rich store for you, laid up for you, that is yours because you're a son. I've made you a son. So we see that. And then in verse 28 of chapter 4, he says this, Now you brothers, like Isaac, are children of promise. You're children of promise. 
You get that through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. In other words, you are children to whom God has made a promise to. And that promise is fulfilled in the Lord Jesus Christ. You're children of promise. And that has transformed our lives. The second thing I want to see about this saving power, not only is it we see the work of transformation, we see the work of, of what I would call transfer. He has done a, a transfer to, he's made a, a transfer operate in this so that we would gain what we don't have when we would lose what we're condemned by. He says in ver chapter 2, verse 19, let's look at that. Galatians 2, 19. For through the law I died to the law so that I might live to God. To the law, or through the law, he says, I died to the law so that I might live to God. What does he mean? Well, he explains it in the next verse. I have been crucified with Christ. That's how I died to the law. I've been crucified with Christ. What does that mean? It says, see, the law will condemn me. But instead of it condemning me, Christ took the condemnation for me. He took my judgment. He went to the cross and he paid the price for those who have violated the law, which would be me. And all those who would trust in him get the benefit of that price paid. He says, so in that sense, through Christ, I've died to the law. In other words, the law condemned me and put me to death. But once it executed you, you're no longer in line for judgment. You're free. But it didn't execute me, it executed Jesus in my place. There's a transfer that was taking place. Jesus took my place that I should have been the one condemned, but he took my sin and on the cross paid for my sin. He transferred himself in my place. And he took my sin upon him, and he paid for my penalty, and now I am set free. Now, what happened to Jesus? Well, he died, but it didn't end there. He rose again, so now he is victor over death, and I worship him because of that. He paid for my price, he suffered the penalty, and he lived again as a result. So he says here in verse 20, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. It's as if I died on the cross, but God gave me new life, and that life now is for Christ, not for myself. It's for him. It's for his glory. I belong to him. If you are a believer in Christ, you didn't just trust in Christ and then walk away. He says, oh, no, no, no. You're mine. I paid for you. You belong to me, and your life is mine. You don't just do what you want to do. Your life is now all mine, and that's a good thing, because if it was yours, you'd mess it up again. You know, it reminds me of, of, of people who, who, who get, go through these transformations. I like to think of it with the houses. People get a, get a house that's totally fixed up, right? And they love it. They rejoice. Oh, look at the kitchen. It's all renovated. It's all clean. It's beautiful. It, it's, been, it's, it, it's been decorated, you know, with, with style and taste. And, and everything in it has been touched. You say, that's good. But as soon as I bring me and my family all in it, or as soon as you bring you and your family all in it, and live in it for a while, something happens over time. Right? Sometimes it ain't that long of a time either. 
it just starts to go down. Right? It gets dirty. It gets messed up. Stuff stops working like it should. And it, it, it ain't like it used to be. So that transformation that, you know, if, if it's given to us, we mess it up again after a while. <laughs> but Jesus says, look, I've given you life. And now I am going to live in you. Won't be any messing it up again. Because it's my work. I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I live, but Christ who lives in me. The life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So we see this transformation and we see this transfer that operates in the gospel that Christ took on our sin and, and gives to us his righteousness. Chapter 3, verse 13 speaks of that again when it says this. Chapter 3, verse 13 Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. He took on our sin and paid for it. And so we see this gospel. We see the origin. We see that it's undistorted. We see it eliminates pride. We see its saving power. That it transforms and that it transfers to us what we could not ordinarily have. And we see its grace as its identifying trait. It's grace. We're reminded of this all through Galatians. In chapter 1, verse 6, he says this, I'm astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ. I think sometimes we see this word grace and we just kind of look over it because we, it, we become so familiar with it. He says that these, these individuals were called through the grace of Christ. They were called in the grace of Christ. This grace is this identifying trait of this gospel. In other words, this gospel is something that I do not deserve, but God gives me out of his grace. Not something I can earn for myself, but it's something God graciously gives me. It can only come from God. I can be thankful for this aspect of grace. Let's explore this a little bit. In chapter 2, verse 16, he, he, he helps us understand his grace this way. Verse 16, yet we know, we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. Grace is this absence of any prideful gaining of something. We can't gain it through our own work and through our own doing. So a person is not justified by something they do, but through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Brings out that aspect of grace. He goes through there again in that same verse, by, because by works of the law, no one will be justified. So this salvation is completely by grace. God gives it. You can't earn it. You can't work for it. God gives it, and he gives it freely to those who trust in Christ. This grace extends to us even when we don't deserve it. In chapter 3, verse 8, 
Would you look there for a moment? It says, And the scripture foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, In you shall all the nations be blessed. It says, The scripture foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith. Speaking of faith, says this is the means by which Gentiles, those who weren't Jews, are going to come to know God. And it's not going to be by something that they do. It's going to be by them trusting in Jesus Christ. It's amazing to me that it, the old, through the Old Testament scriptures, it says the scriptures, it says there, the scriptures foreseen. The scriptures knew in other words, it lets us in on God's plan. His plan was that he would save individuals, and not just Israel or, or the Jewish people, but that he would save those who weren't part of that nation. God has always had in his mind that his grace would reach out to others, those who were in essence excluded from partnership with him, excluded from relationship with him, but he opened the door for them. That's grace. He opened the door to them, and that's always been a part of his plan and his purpose. And the scriptures kind of just let us in on it when he gave his promise in, in Genesis chapter 12. It says, through Abraham, all the families of the world would be blessed. In other words, people from every nation would be able to be a part and related with God because God was exercised in his grace that would impact me and you. So we see that God ministers to us through the gospel that Galatians emphasized. I want to ask you, have you been impacted by the gospel? And is it something that you are showing your thankfulness to God right now for? As you come into worship today, you know, what should be on your mind? I think when we come to church, our minds should, it's too often it may be on the, the practical things that we have to do, you know, have to get ready out, or maybe I'm singing in a choir, or maybe I'm teaching in Sunday school, or, you know, I make, make sure I got my family and my kids all together, and everybody's dressed and, and ready, and all those things. But what, what, what ought to be going through your mind, and what you, what you have to train your mind to focus on, I am here to worship God. I am here to give thanks to him for what he has done for me, to learn more of him so that I can give him more praise and more thanks. And I'm here to, 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 to live out this thanks in him. I'm, I'm here to let it show. We used to sing a song when I was a kid. This little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. I'm here to shine, to give glory to God. And our focus ought to be there as we come to, to worship and to, to praise God. God ministers to us through the gospel. You know, he saw that we were lost sinners. And he, he brought the gospel to us. And then he opened our hearts and, and he brought life within us. And I think it's three aspects of there that, that we look at. We've, we've looked at this gospel and God used the gospel to bring this change in our lives. But he also uses a human being to present that gospel to us. So the second aspect I think we can give praise to God is we, we praise God because he ministers through the gospel. But we also praise God because he ministers through his people that present the gospel to us and 
and what I call confronting human relationships. Certainly we see in Galatians uh, a number of confrontations that, that God intended for human beings to have to further the gospel. You see, you can just lay the gospel out, but somebody, some human being has to, have to speak have to preach that gospel to impact your life. Somebody had to remind you so that it wouldn't just go right over your head. See, somebody had to come and speak it. It, 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 it it's, it's like somebody planting a seed. That it wasn't just a random planting, but it was planted and God brought that seed to life. He used somebody, a human being, to put that seed there in your life. Now, as we look at our own lives, you perhaps remember how the gospel was shared with you. Or maybe you're in an environment that it was shared so often you may not be able to identify one single individual, but it was several people, perhaps, that helped you see that gospel, made it plain for you, laid it out for you, so that you could understand and embrace this gospel. We see that. Now, when I speak of the gospel, we're not just talking about the ABCs of, 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 of Christ's birth, his death, and, and, and his resurrection. Certainly includes that. But when it says in, in, in Galatians that God foreseen, or the scriptures foreseen that God would justify the Gentiles, it's saying that God had in mind all the way through the Old Testament his plan for bringing salvation to his people. In other words, all of this is the gospel. All of his words shows his purpose and his plan to save individuals. And so he's impacting us, he's, he's ministering in our lives through his word, through his complete word, and all of that is the gospel. He's using individuals to present that gospel. You wonder why God's plan was to use human beings. He, he, he never used angels to preach the gospel. Now, we would think, wow, God, if you used an angel, men would believe, Right? They, 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 their eyes will be wide open. They will see this great, powerful being, and they know that this came from you, and it'd be true, and, and they would just bow down and accept it. But God hasn't chosen to do it that way. He uses me and you to preach the gospel. And when we're preaching the gospel, I'm, I'm looking at this second part when I'm talking about this, this confronting human relationships God has placed you in a place where you can have human beings and be in relationship with human beings so they can confront you with the gospel. We see that throughout Galatians. Paul confronts the people who said they believed in Christ and yet they were following a false gospel. He confronts them. Paul confronts the apostles who had started out on the right path but didn't notice how this gospel was being distorted and weren't right ready to, to correct it, and Paul had to correct them. Paul confronts individuals. Let me tell you something in a practical way. We live in this COVID environment, right? 
one of the first things that they tried to do was shut down churches. You remember when it happened? First it's like, okay, no groups bigger than 50. Then when like 40, then to 10. Like, how are you going to worship when, when you're restricted to 10 people? And what was the sense? Yeah, right away I said, now this is just foolishness. We can all go to the grocery store and there's hundreds of people there. And we can do that every day, but we can't come to church and worship. You, run me, you mean to tell me I can't wear gloves and a mask and make some way possible where we can come together and still not be under extreme uh, uh, risk of spreading that disease? And right away we saw a spiritual nature to this. And why is that? We see churches still closed today. What's impacted is the human relationships that God wants to use to help us be what, what he wants us to be. It is the human confrontations, I call it, that we desperately need to build in our lives. Paul not just spoke the gospel to these folks in Galatians. He didn't just read a letter. He addressed individually and personally Peter and confronted them with the gospel and continue to confront them with the gospel. One of the things that we can thank God for is the gospel, yes. Secondly is the personal or the human relationships that we have that help confront the gospel in our lives. God intends for that to happen. We're in a church where God wants that to happen. He doesn't intend for you. Now, you might be watching me through the Internet today and be thinking, I'm just as well at home hearing this. No, you're not. God wants you to personally interact with his people so that you might be confronted with the gospel. Let me show you what that means. In chapter 2, <clears throat> verse 11. It says, but when Cephas came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. Now, you know, Cephas is Peter, the great leaders in the church. He's an apostle. God had placed him in that position. He commissioned him to serve in that way. God had placed Paul as an apostle, too, and commissioned him to serve in that way. These are human beings that God had placed in the lives of other human beings to impact their life for the gospel's sake. Now, Paul says there's a problem that was going on. Without, without getting more into the details, because I've covered that so many times, I want to just jump down to verse 14, he, Paul identifies what the problem was. When I saw that their conduct was not in step with the truth of the gospel, Paul said, that's what bothered me. When I saw their lives, their living, their conduct was not in step with the truth of the gospel. Paul is confronting individuals because he's motivated by lives that line up with the truth of the gospel. That's what Christian confrontation does. It challenges you through another human being to line up your life with the truth of the gospel. 
And Paul says, that includes the folks you eat with and how you eat with them. In other words, it, it has every aspect of your life in mind. You can't say, Pastor, my driving ain't got nothing to do with the gospel. I drive as I please. You can't say that. You can't even say, Pastor, my eating has nothing to do with the gospel. I eat when I want, as I please. I eat as much or as little as I want or as I please. No, you don't. Not if you belong to Christ. Your life, everything that you do needs to be in step with the gospel. And there needs to be, you need to willingly place people in your life, church, that will help you have people confront those sides of your life that don't always line up with the gospel. Now, we don't like that. Because we think church should be have a nice prayer, sing a nice song, pastor preach a message that just encourages me and send me on. That's what we think church is, but God has a different idea of what church really is. It is it, it's not really even just me at the pulpit. Because you can turn me on and you can turn me off. But you don't just come in here for this. You come in here to interact with God's people and them to be in your business, for them to be in your life, for them to be a part of you. That's why people reject God's plan. They, they want to come to church, but they want to go to a big church. Now, I ain't saying something wrong with a big church. This is what's wrong. They want to go where ain't nobody know them or involved with them. It's all right when you were visited, but you're coming a few times, and we get to know you, and we get to talking about how you really live. Folks don't want that. But they don't want God's plan. They don't want God's purpose. Paul says, look, I'm interacting with you for the sake of the gospel. I don't want the gospel to be distorted, and I want your life to line up and to be in step with the gospel. So God called you, God called me to interact with one another so that we confront those sides of us that ain't lining up with the gospel. And we should be thankful <laughs> for that. We should be thankful for the gospel. We should be thankful for human relationships that God would have us develop that confront the gospel with us, confront us with the gospel and call up, calls us to line up with the truth of the gospel. There's so many ways you see this in Galatians, you know. I'll just point out a few. I've already pointed out one. I want to point this out. The reason why Paul confronted individuals, because he had a right motivation. Let's look at that in chapter 2. And I'll start with verse 4. He says, you know, there were some false brothers that were secretly brought in to spy on us. And it basically, here's what he's saying. They brought in these false, these phony Christians who were acting like they were real, but they weren't. And they just wanted to check out to see if we were circumcised or not to see if we are following their rules. And Paul says this. Look at his response in verse 5. To them we did not yield in submission even for a moment. 
Now, he didn't say that just to be stubborn, just to be a rebel, just because he didn't feel like it. He said it for this. Read verse 5 with, with me again. It says, to them, we did not yield in submission even for a moment so that, here's his purpose, so that the truth of the gospel might be preserved for you. His motivation in his confrontations was so that the truth of the gospel will be preserved. That's what it's about. That's the interactions that we ought to have with one another. It's so that the truth of the gospel will be preserved. As we looked at later in, 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 in the chapter, he says it this way, so that their lives will be in step with the truth of the gospel. That's what we're concerned about. That's our job as believers. It ain't just come to church, hear a nice song, hear a sweet sermon, and go home. It is to live this life for the glory of God and in our living to be so connected with each other that that burning fire and desire spreads amongst us and that we encourage, yes, but challenge also each other to, to, to line up with the truth of the gospel. Again, we, we want it easy, so hey, nobody be talking about what I do. That's my business. How I spend my money, who I spend my time with, what I do on my job, what I do on my free time. That's all my business. God has a different thing in mind. This is not just your business. What it might be your business if you're not connected to Christ. If you're not connected to God and you're not connected to God's people, but if you belong to Christ, you belong to God, you're part of a family. You, God explains that you're part of his body, and he would have you interact with and have others interact with you in an intimate way. If you don't want that intimacy, you're rejecting God and God's purpose and his plan for bringing that transformation in your life. And so you ought to be thankful. You ought to be thankful for the gospel. You ought to be thankful for like, confronting human relationships that help bring the gospel to life in our lives. So it's not just something we say. It's something that we live. And I'm going to go to the third thing now because all three of these things work together. We ought to be thankful, and we see this emphasized in Galatians, is God works in us through his Holy Spirit. So we see the Word of God or the Gospel. We see God's people, and we see the Holy Spirit. And we see the three of them being used by God to create in us this, this person that he wants us to be. God is using all of them. Can you see Peter in his life? God using Paul to help Peter. And Paul is explaining the word of God and challenging him in personal ways. He says, hey, Peter, man, what's with, what's with this action, this hypocrisy that I see in your life, man? He said this before everybody. When, before them folks came down from Jerusalem, you was eating with Gentiles and having no problem. But as soon as they came down, you changed everything. Paul said, that ain't cool. Not only is it not cool, it's hypocrisy. 
It doesn't line up with the gospel, man. You have distorted others' view of the gospel by your action. Now you think Peter would say, look, man, I'm an apostle. You got no right. Don't, don't talk to me like that. I live with Christ. I walk with Christ. He called me to walk on water. I walked on water with him. But he didn't do that. He didn't do that. What is it in Peter that caused him to melt and to be condemned in front of other people and to say, you know what? You're right. I ain't lined up with the gospel. You know, God has spoke to Peter himself. He sent him to a man named Cornelius and said, look, I'm going to prepare you for this because Cornelius is not a Jew, he's a Gentile. I'm going to prepare you for this. I'm going to give you a dream, a vision of what I'm doing. And in that vision, there's food that came down from heaven, and this food, was, it wasn't kosher. <laughs> it wasn't the food the Jews were permitted to eat. And in this vision, God told them, rise up, Peter, and eat. He said, not so, Lord. Ah. I don't eat like that. That ain't in my diet. He said, you know who's talking to you? This is from heaven. Listen. Happened three times, and Peter was wondering, this is a strange thing. Finally, <laughs> you see the Holy Spirit begin to, 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 to work. Not only was there a vision, but there is the, the word of God that helps him. Paul's helping him see the practical side of the word of God. Look, in essence, he's saying this. Look, Peter, what God is speaking to you in the dream lines up with everything his word says. It just seems strange to you because your thinking is not lined up with God's thinking. And because of that, your behavior is not lined up with the gospel. Let me correct that. The Holy Spirit begins to work in Peter's heart. And when he's condemned, he doesn't buck it. <laughs> he receives it. He later goes on to tell everybody that what Paul spoke, the words that Paul wrote, is Scripture. In other words, Paul lined up equally with him as a leader in the church, as an apostle commissioned by God. And he had a right to speak for the truth of the gospel. Peter learned this ain't personal. This ain't about me. Remember what Paul said in, in 1 Corinthians, I think it's chapter 3. He says, look, some of y'all line up saying I'm of Christ. Some of you saying I'm of Paul. Some of you saying I'm of Cephas or Peter. He said, it ain't about us. It ain't about me and Peter. It's about Christ. He knew what it was about. It wasn't a personal attack on him. Of Paul on Peter, it wasn't, and Peter learned not to take it that way. It wasn't personal. It's about the gospel. Take your feelings out of it when you're corrected. It's the Holy Spirit that would allow us to be corrected and to take that correction and live it in the right way. To live it, to live out. It's the Holy Spirit that, that begins to work in us. And so, um, let me just look at, at chapter, can we look at chapter 5? He really begins to bring the Holy Spirit's work into this. God is ministering to us through his word. He's ministering up through his people, and he's ministering us 
to us through his Holy Spirit. We can be thankful for God, how he does it through his word, but don't you just study by yourself and think you got it. He ministers through his people. He wants you interacting with them and gaining the insight and sometimes benefiting from their confrontations. And he ministers to you and to me through his Holy Spirit. A Holy Spirit. How's the Holy Spirit working? He brings it out this way. Paul asked three questions in, in chapter um, actually I want to look at chapter 3 Galatians 3 I want to look at three questions that he brings out that helps us understand what the Holy Spirit does the first is in chapter 3 verse 2 let me ask you only this did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith that's the first question he asks. Let me just verse 1 get, get the gist and the context here. Paul says, now, I'm preaching the gospel to you. Well, what's wrong with y'all, he's saying? What is wrong with y'all that you don't get it? He said, oh, foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? It was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. In other words, he said, Jesus has been laid out before you so you understood who he is and what he's done. You ought to know better. Then he asked them a couple questions. Verse 1, this one is in verse 2. Let me ask you only this. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? It's the Holy Spirit is given to believers by grace. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Did you receive the Holy Spirit by your obedience and your being so good and so holy? You know, we, we had this notion in, in, in churches years ago that you had to tarry for the Holy Spirit. And I know where they got it from, from Acts chapter 2, but it was a wrong teaching that you had to do something to receive the Holy Spirit. Paul is saying here, look, did you receive the Holy Spirit by obeying the law because you were so righteous, because you were so good, because you did something? He said, no. Did you, hear, did you receive the Holy Spirit by the hearing that came by faith? In other words, you came to know Christ. You put your faith in Jesus, and God gave you the Holy Spirit. Real simple. Real laid out. You began to trust in Jesus, and God changed your heart and imparted to you his spirit. That's how it worked. God gives the Spirit to those who trust in Christ. So the Holy Spirit is graciously given, not based on works or earning. You, know, you don't get earn, earn points and bonus points, and then you get so many points, and boom, the Holy Spirit comes to you. No, it doesn't work like that. Those who are born again are given the Holy Spirit. And he reminds them of that by asking that question. Next question is in verse 3. Are you so foolish? Having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? That's the next question. 
Having begun by the Spirit, so he answers the first question, says, no, you got your start by the Spirit, not by you obeying the law, but by God giving you, without you deserving it, the Spirit. And having begun by the Spirit, are you being perfected by the flesh? I love the word for perfected we often use is matured or developed. Are you being matured or growing or developing through the flesh? Or is it the work of the Spirit? In other words, the Holy Spirit not only gives life to the believer and parts the believer, he sustains the believer. He keeps you. You are being kept not by your power, but by the Holy Spirit. That's why when me and you mess up and we feel so bad and we feel so guilty, we can come to God and say, God, Thank you for your forgiveness that my, your imparting me wasn't based on me never sinning again or being absolutely right. It's based on me being your child. And I thank you for that. Are you being perfected by the flesh? Is your self-effort? You're going to get a workout regime now and make yourself a better Christian? No, it's the work of the Spirit. Now, that's not to say you don't have a part in it. It's just that you don't pat yourself on the back for it. And you don't glory in it because outside of God's work, it doesn't happen. I was talking to a man in this church, and he can identify himself. He'll be glad to tell you. I just won't say his name, but he was telling me, you know what? I celebrated this month 10 years of sobriety. Praise God. What the Holy Spirit can do. <laughs> In other words, he's the one that sustains and keeps us. He gives us that power to do that. Power is not in ourselves alone. It's the Holy Spirit that does that. And it's real when he does it. It's encouraging to see that, isn't it? Throughout the Holy Spirit, he, li listen, there, there is not a challenge that he can't meet in our lives in terms of resisting sin and, and being what God wants us to be. He's constantly working on us in that process. So we can thank God for his work in the Holy Spirit. But when we look at that, we need to see that it's always coupled together. You see, we, we have what I call some brain heads who think, I'm just going to get along with the Word of God and I'm going to study until I'm right. And they just think wrongly. It's not the Word of God that's the problem. It's your attitude that you can you can be a, a monk and you can dismiss yourself from everybody else, isolate yourself and be right. You can't. He wants you in his community with his word. And in that community, we see that confrontation that happens. And then he wants you to realize it's with the Holy Spirit's work that he works on you. It's those three working together. It's the word. You know, men can get, when I say men, I mean human beings, can get so much pride in their personal knowledge of the word of God. I almost want to throw up sometimes when I see people who know so much of the word of God and show so little in their own lives. It's like something is wrong with that. 
reminds me when you used to go to the gym and you see people working out. There's certain people who just love certain parts of their body. And some guys, it's the biceps. And so all they're doing is this. Their legs is about like this puny, but their arms are big. They look like this. And, 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 you know, if you had to fight them, you just boom like this and they tip over. Because they got no strength in their legs. And so they like to build up one part. Look at me, super, super. You know, like, what? Something wrong with you, dude. You, you distort it. Why don't you work on your bottoms? Why don't you work on, on your foundation? Why don't you do it all? That's what happens is when we have that pride in ourselves and just want to take one thing, maybe it's that knowledge of the Word of God, and just go to town with that without realizing God would have us interacting with each other. God would have us having that interaction, that exposure to the Holy Spirit who's working on us, using his word and using his people. God is doing that today. We can be thankful for those ways. God is doing that. The Holy Spirit, he, he, he not only indwells, he, uh, uh, um, he sustains us. He gives us life and he sustains us in that life. And I just kind of took the short route to, to show you that in chapter 3, verse 2, 3, and 5. In chapter 5, we see the work of the Holy Spirit. He says in verse 16, walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Notice he doesn't just say read your word and you'll be all right. Reading your word is important. He says, but you got to walk. You talk that talk, you got to walk the walk. And it's the Holy Spirit that gives you the power to do that walk. So it's not just loading up your brain with Scripture, but practice, exercise it, live it out, do what the Scriptures say. And that's where the fellowship of believers come in. You know what we do when we look in the mirror? We do one or two things. We'll look at all of our good spots. We pose, right? I know I look better this direction, so that's how I'm going to look in the mirror. But when our other brothers and sisters come around, they're seeing us 360. You ever go in one of those stores and try on a suit or a dress, and you get in that mirror, right? Yeah, I know what I'm talking about. You go, you think you look good, you go, ooh, man. My hair in the back needs some touching up. Well, I didn't know I had that much gray. You know, oh, my stomach's sticking out a little. My butt's sticking out. Oh, whoa, whoa. Right? You, you see it from a different angle instead of that one that you flatter yourself with. And so your brothers and sisters around you give you a well-rounded view. That's for your good. It's not just to make you feel bad. It's for your good. So he says, walk by the Spirit. Not just read, but walk. Walk. Not just go to church, but walk. Walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. And then kind of skip down a little bit. He says, the verse 22, the fruit of the Spirit. That which the Spirit produces in your life. You can go to John 15, you can see that God says, Jesus says, you have to abide in him. And when you abide in him, he's going to produce through you fruit. 
Father's purpose is that you produce fruit, much fruit. This is what the Holy Spirit is doing. He's producing fruit in us. He gives us a picture of that fruit. And then he says something at the end of verse 23. Against such things there is no law. He's saying this. There is no law that can produce that fruit. There is no law that can produce that type of fruit. Say it again. There is no law that can produce that kind of fruit. It's the Holy Spirit that produces that fruit. So Paul is summed up. He said, look, is it your adherence or keeping the law that brings this godly life in you? Or is the Holy Spirit? Now, you can notice at the end of the chapter, he, he's like throwing it at him. He says, <laughs> look what he says in verse 25. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. There's a hint that that's what was really going on. Except when the Holy Spirit ain't working there, you see the ugliness there. In other words, you see what the, the law, you see what the flesh produces. It can't produce Holy Spirit fruit. Only Holy Spirit can produce that. So we ought to be thankful for the Holy Spirit that's given to us. We ought to be thankful for the connection that God has us to have with each other that produces in us. It works with the Holy Spirit to produce the fruit that he has. We ought to be thankful for the gospel that's given to us in writing so that we can read it, but then in living through the Holy Spirit and through our interaction with other, with God's people. I'm so thankful for the interaction that we have here at Sweet Communion. To be honest, it's not always easy or not always pleasant. Um, we don't always know how to correct each other properly. It doesn't always come off right, does it? Some are offended when that happens. That's, that's part of the process. The Holy Spirit helps us to understand as we practice more and more how to do that. Just like if I give myself, I can get better and better at preaching. I know you're praying for that. Not perfect yet. We're still working on it. But that's the idea. That's the picture of our church, isn't it? And we're working at those things, and we're not perfect, but we are being perfected through it. It's the Holy Spirit working through his word. It's the Holy Spirit working through our interactions, and we working in those things that God is producing the fruit that he intends. And it's those things we ought to be thankful for, reminded of those in Galatians and seeing how they all fit together, and reminded us to be thankful for God's process thankful for what God is doing and how he's doing it. He's opening our eyes to see that so we can thank him. Instead of going home and complaining, they'll go, you know what sister so-and-so said to me? She had the nerve. Right? Right? Well, maybe you do have to talk to her because she can learn how that confrontation can be developed and made better. When we get to chapter 5, we're going to see how that ought to look and how it comes together.
But first, that'll be in the, in the new year, God willing. We're going to go through our Christmas series in, in January and then come back to the new year and close Galatians, and then we'll go into another, another series after that. I pray and trust that God is working through his word in your life. He's encouraging you. He's giving you a taste for his word, giving you a taste for that interaction, that positive, that right interaction that we'll have with each other and giving you a taste for the Holy Spirit working and producing in your life what he desires to produce. Father, we thank you for your word today. We pray, Lord, that you would bring fruit from your word. And as someone here that is now being prompted to trust in Christ, that you would encourage them, help them to see Jesus as the only Savior. There's none other. There's none other needed. There's none other given. We pray that we might trust, that that person might come to trust in Christ today and let me or let someone else know so that we can prepare them to be a part of this group of believers, the relationships that we have. Then I pray, Lord, for each member here that we would yield ourselves to your Holy Spirit and yield ourselves to each other and be used of you to bring glory to God the Father. I thank you for the Holy Spirit. I thank you how he works in each and every one of us. Because of the Holy Spirit, Paul could confidently say that he knew that those he was talking to would come to understand the truth of the gospel and they would have their lives turned around by it. His confidence was there because of your work, because of your Holy Spirit. So I thank you for that process. Help me as a pastor, Lord, to be what you intend for me to be. Help me to grow. Help me to learn. Help me to, to work out to bear the fruit that you want me to bear and to input into lives that you want me to input into and to receive the input, input you have from others. I just pray that you will work these things out, that you would grow this church, that you would challenge our hearts to walk in obedience to the gospel and bring glory to you in spite of our circumstances in the, in the present with COVID, with the unrest that we have, with the recent political elections and all that's not good. That you'd help us to shine as lights for the glory of Jesus Christ. We pray this now in Jesus' name. Amen.